Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be our special draft preview episode of the Unofficial Bengals Podcast, and we'll cover the 2022 NFL Draft, and we're going to talk about some Bengals draft philosophies, some strategies, and my personal predictions on who I think the Bengals will draft. I'm also going to give some answers to the Hobson's Choice column from Bengals.com and give my opinions on the questions that Bengals fans are asking. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests this week to talk about the NFL Draft, and it's going to be Corey O'Neill, who's a big-time Eagles fan and the host of the Grease Pole podcast and also a draft expert. We're going to also welcome in Bengals Storm for his mock draft for the Cincinnati Bengals. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast 2022 draft preview. Really looking forward to the NFL draft. It's like football's back for a weekend. Three full days of coverage of the NFL and our beloved Cincinnati Bengals, basically 20 hours of NFL football, and I just can't wait. And for us, it's a chance to add eight new players, maybe get another starter or two. It's just exciting when you restock your team with a bunch of young players, and you never know what you're going to get. You never know if you're going to get that next big superstar or a few good role players. It's just a really exciting time to follow football, and especially when your team is a Super Bowl contender again. So it's, it's going to be a good weekend. And we're in a really good place. Our roster is well-stacked, and we're returning all these players that just made a Super Bowl run. So no one knows what we're going to do in this draft. No one knows who we're going to select. Not us, the fans, the podcasters, not our opponents, not even the draft experts. I mean, if you look at what they're predicting, you see anything from a center to a corner to a defensive tackle. I've seen a safety. I've seen a running back. There's been so many predictions on what the Bengals are going to do in the first round, and it's just no one knows, and that is such a good spot to be in. So this draft is wide open, and it gives us the ability to take the best player available. I know we have some needs that we want to target, but we have a very good chance to just go BPA, and best player available is the best way to improve your team. All right, so with the draft about a week away, I want to stress the importance of hitting on your first three picks, rounds one through three. And if you've listened to my show before, I have my theory, and I, I'd like to call it the top 50 theory. Now, when you draft players within the top 50, I would say most of the time that's where you get your starters and your pro bowlers. Once you start slipping out of there, I know you're still talking second round and third round, and they can be productive rounds. But if you look at history, you make most of your hay in 1 through 50. When you get to 51-75, you still have a chance to get some good players, good starters. I mean, that's where Logan Wilson came in. Uh, Hubbard was like 77. So you can get a good starter in that range as well. But it's really those top 50 that are going to be difference makers and impact starters, guys that have a chance to make an impact right away. And then once you get after 75, anything can happen. So my philosophy is you go hard in the first three rounds, You get as many picks as you can in that top 50 or top 75. And then you use rounds four through seven for like non-marquee positions. And I know this is going to sound weird, but I mean, that's, we got a kicker there. We we have a kicker that's probably going to be a perennial pro bowler that we got in the fifth round. That's someone that you can get rounds four through seven. You know, in these days, maybe you get a running back. Maybe you get some, a linebacker there. There's a few positions, maybe a tight end. I don't know. We'll talk about all that stuff later. 
But those are the positions that I see in rounds four through seven. But really what I would use those picks for are to move up in rounds two and three. Just get as high as you can in this draft and get as many top 50 players as you can. And with that said, here's some pretty crazy observations from the last five drafts. So I did some research. Last five drafts, rounds four through seven, out of all those selections, that's 34 selections, the only projected starter this year is Evan McPherson, and that's a special teamer. You know, you can say Adeniji started last year, but out of our current roster, 34 picks, no starters except for a kicker. And then on top of that, this is how ineffective rounds four through seven can be. If you go 2017, 18, and 19, three years, not including the last two drafts, so you're taking three drafts there, 23 players drafted, only two players are left on the roster. Brandon Wilson, a great special teamer. Travion Williams, practice squad running back who it feels like they're looking to replace already. So you think about that. Rounds four through seven over the last five years, no starters. And then in those three years, you have two guys left out of 23. So this shows that rounds four through seven, and and the Bengals aren't alone. This isn't just like all the Bengals have drafted poorly. This is pretty much NFL-wide. You can go team by team, and you can see how few starters they have or even players that are still on the roster from those late rounds. So really what this all comes down to is just supports my theory of get as many top players as you can. If you get three players in the top 50 and nothing else, you trade everything else away or whatever, that's a very successful draft. You know, especially when you have a, a loaded roster like ours, bringing in eight guys, there's not enough room for everybody, and that's what happens. You start... You know, you develop a backup player out of position that you drafted, say, in 2020, 2021. 22, you draft the same position, and now you kind of force out that other guy before there's any development. So sometimes having too many draft picks, you know, you figure you have a better chance of hitting on some of them, but it also crowds the roster, and if they're not in that top echelon, the odds are they're not going to be a starter or a pro bowler or a massively productive player, and the numbers go to show. Now, to the contrary, if you take the last five drafts, rounds one through three, ten starters. And as a side note, the Bengals have built equally through free agency and the draft. So you can make an argument a lot of people are just steadfast on you build your team through the draft. You have teams like the Rams that say you build your team through free agency. There's two different schools of thought. And the Bengals, we're going to call them a very successful team because they they are picking number 31 and they were the finalist to winning the Lombardi Trophy last year. So you have to use them as a good example of this. And if you look at the projected starters for 2022, and this doesn't include any draft picks or any late free agent signings, but for the most part, on offense, the projected 11, four of them are free agents, seven of them came through the draft. And on defense, it's the reverse. Seven came through free agency, four came through the draft. So really what that says is, of the starting 22, 11 were drafted and 11 were free agents. So that shows that you build your team through both methods. All right, so with that said, what would my draft strategy be if I was Mr. Tobin, Mr. Brown, and the coaching staff? I think this is a year you have the luxury of taking the best player available. I mean, imagine even getting another dynamite pass rusher early in the draft. You know, those aren't the primary needs, but it could be anything. If you take the best player available, you can't go wrong, even if you have another guy at that position right now. But let's go a step further and divide our needs into three different areas. So one, I'm going to consider these like primary positional needs. And if you think of that, the three big ones are offensive line, corner, and tight end. Our secondary needs, now you're thinking defensive line, safety, linebacker. 
And then the third option would be your luxury needs, like wide receiver. We're pretty stacked there, but you could always use another dynamite player, you know, running back, quarterback, maybe a backup later in the draft. So those make up the three different levels. So let's go to primary positional needs. Offensive lineman, left guard is still a mystery. You know, maybe you get the center and you move Karras over to left guard. It's You can't have enough offensive linemen, especially for a team that struggled. And if you think about it, we fixed the right side of the offensive line. The left side, you know, we're going to trust in Jonah, but the left side is still a little bit undecided. So it can't hurt to get a center and maybe kick out someone to left guard or to get an, a pure guard to start at left guard and compete with Jackson Carmen, Deontay Smith, and whoever else they're going to bring in. So there's definitely a need to pick an offensive lineman high in this draft, in my opinion. And then corner, you know, you have Eli Apple being the incumbent at left corner, but we don't have a lot of corners on the roster. You can always use depth there. Every year, a starting corner seems to go down, so you want to be as stocked as you can there. And, you know, corner is one of those things, in my opinion, and there are exceptions to the rule. If you don't get them in that first round or early second you start getting a drop-off, and you get guys that aren't necessarily pure starters. So if you're going to grab a corner, you're going to probably want to grab them early. And then the third big position is tight end, and you can get them a little bit later. I mean, you can get a great one in the second round. You probably can get a very good one in the third round. What I'm seeing for this draft is there's going to be a bunch of teams that are going after second-round tight ends. So if we do wait till the third round for a tight end, we might get a second-tier guy. But either way, if you can get another pass-catching tight end, that's very big in the NFL. It's A lot of successful offenses have two of them out there. I know we have that great receiving core, but just think about a couple additional weapons. Think about a two-tight end set where both guys can be very dangerous, You know, assuming that Hayden Hurst works out the way we want. So those are the main positions. Offensive line, corner, tight end. I would say in the first three rounds, you chase those positions unless this just amazing player falls to you at any other position. Then the second group of needs, defensive line, safety, linebacker. Now, if you go into defensive line, you can always use help in that tackle rotation. Maybe if you get a good one early enough, you don't need to sign Ogunjobi for several million. You know, there's a lot of options there. And even if you get, you have the chance to get a pass rusher, like I said earlier, those are all big things. You can never have enough offensive linemen. You can never have enough defensive linemen. So if, if one presents itself and he can improve your team, that's someone to think about. Safety is something that you can sometimes get in that third, fourth round and get a productive starter. And if they're going to be thinking about an exit plan for Jesse Bates, which is unfortunate, you know, I hope there's a way it works out. But if it doesn't, this may be the time to start grooming his replacement and maybe have him study under Bates for a year. So you, th you figure a safety might be in, in play for the third, fourth round. And then linebackers, they're pretty set there. A lot of young backers on the rise and everyone there played pretty well. But again, that's another room where a lot of guys get hurt. It's a very physical position, and you can always use extra special teamers down at the bottom of the draft. So linebacker could be an area that you address a little bit later. And then on to the luxury needs, wide receiver, running back, quarterback. It's really nice that we're in a position where this, all the skill positions, with the exception of tight end, are now luxuries because we're so set at all of those positions. And, you know, if a dynamite wide receiver falls second, third round, Another target for Burrow could be deadly, and you know that could be the exit plan for Tyler Boyd. Another player I don't want to see go, but you just you know how teams think, and you need to save salary cap space when you have a lot of players coming up for deals. If you get a young functional player at a position, he's more valuable than an older functional player at a position. So that's where wide receivers come in. Running backs, you can get them late in the draft now. And we've had pretty good success in the sixth round, so you, you never know if someone if someone's sitting there in the sixth 
that shouldn't be there, or even in the fifth that has excellent ability, maybe you know like a top 10 running back coming out of the draft, that could be something to think about too, just to build up your team's depth. And then quarterback, I still think that we should be chasing after a backup. The problem is, once you get out of the third round, with very few exceptions, you're not really going to get too many functional quarterbacks. And if you look at our draft history of late round quarterbacks, really none of them have been productive enough. You know, you take your Ryan Finley's, your um, Logan Woodside's. There's been a bunch of them over the years. So you're, you're really kind of rolling the dice there, but you never know. You know, maybe you get a quarterback in the sixth or seventh that shouldn't be there, and it's a quarterback in the style of Joe Burrow, and you get someone that you can groom to be a backup for years to come. You know, those are all thoughts on the position groups. But strategy, really, best player available. If in my perfect world, we get the center, we get a corner, and we get a tight end with those top three picks. The unofficial Bengals podcast 2022 draft predictions. All right, so here's my predictions for this draft for the Bengals. I like to do my predictions every year. First round, I really think they're going to grab Linderbaum, the center. Second round, I'm thinking they're going to go for a corner. And if they don't get Linderbaum in the first, I think a corner would be in the first. And maybe you're looking at Elam, Booth, Gordon, if any of those guys are around. So I'm going to go center first, corner second, tight end in the third round, safety in the fourth round, and then I'm going to go defensive tackle in the fifth, another corner in the sixth because our roster's low on them, and then a running back in the seventh, and then a wide receiver in the seventh, but maybe a returner-type wide receiver. So to summarize one more time, center, corner, tight end, safety, defensive tackle, corner, running back, wide receiver slash returner. And I would be thrilled if that's our draft for this year. And if I'm wrong on any of this, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong because they traded up and they got back into the late second round or the early third round and got rid of some of those four, five, six, seven picks. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome, from the Greased Pole podcast, Corey O'Neill. All right, I'd like to welcome in a very special guest and a very dear friend. He's the host of the Grease Pole podcast. He's a big-time Eagles fan, and he's a draft expert and a really good all-round guy. I'd like to welcome Corey O'Neill. Corey, how are you today? Frank, always good to be on with you. It's that time of year again, brother. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I, I love the fact that you come on every year for the draft. You're definitely a highlight for the show. I wish the Bengals played the Eagles more because then we would be able to battle a little bit during the season. But like, yeah. like we always say, maybe we'll we'll get that Super Bowl against each other, and then then it'll be a crazy time. Perhaps, man. I, I look, man. Our fortunes have uh, certainly seemed to reverse for both of our teams. You guys are more on the upswing. We still have Howie Roseman. Um, so you know, perhaps one day, man. But I've got a lot of hope for you guys, man. Obviously, you guys have a hell of a future ahead for the next decade. As long as Burrow can stay upright, you know, we're still sitting here trying to figure out how to draft receivers. So, but one can hope, man. <laughs> <laughs> Love the takes. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that your favorite AFC team is the Bengals. And I know that my favorite NFC team is the Eagles. I don't know if that's true Bengals for you, but. And, yeah, well, I'll, for the sake of your listeners, I will, I will say with a wink and a nod that it is the Bengals. 
Um, I will not say that I, I won't go into detail about how I have family from Baltimore and that I've always had a soft spot for the purple team in your division. So I hope everybody stays past that point. Um, <laughs> All right, I needed you to going to get to the Bengals here. <laughs> I needed you to lie there so the fans would be on your side. So yes, we have a closet Ravens fan here. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding around. All good, brother. All right, so let's get down to business. So Corey, what I was hoping, based on your draft knowledge, is maybe you can go over the first ten picks in the draft, and then maybe you can hit the Eagles pick and then the Bengals pick after that. Absolutely, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. I got the mock ready to go, man. All right, I'm ready when you are. So with, with the first pick, it's Jaguars, and basically you're on the clock, my friend. I shout out to uh, Doug Peterson, scorned Super Bowl winning coach and my beloved Eagles for uh, going, to, going to now play with Sunshine down in Duval. Because of Trevor Lawrence, I really wanted to put Evan Neal here, offensive tackle out of Alabama. I'm going with Aiden Hutchinson, edge rusher out of Michigan. He seems to be the consensus number one overall pick. And this is kind of, this class is so interesting because this is one of those years that's kind of an anomaly that you don't have very often where there's not that clear cut number one. There's like three, four dudes that might be this pick. Nobody knows what the hell Jacksonville's going to do, even though Hutchinson's the odds on favorite. They've already got the quarterback. There isn't a, a, a Lawrence in this class, there isn't a Burrow. So that kind of leaves number one as a mystery. But I think Aiden Hutchinson's the pick because if you're Jacksonville, as we've discussed before, Frank, when we've talked, man, the edge rusher on defense is the new linebacker. It's not 20 years ago's game anymore. You have to be able to, if you're on offense, you have to protect your quarterback. And if you're on defense, you have to get after the other teams. And Hutchinson doesn't have the necessarily the highest ceiling of this year's edge rushers, but he's got the highest floor. And I think you pair him with Josh Allen and you've got a pair of defensive ends that can pressure opposing quarterbacks in different ways for years to come. I think there's been a lot about Trayvon Walker. I think that's kind of, I mean, that's a very Jacksonville thing to do, but I think Hutchinson makes the most sense here. He's the safest pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was, you know, picking a lineman here to keep Trevor Lawrence upright. I just think they go, with the safe pick and Aiden Hutchinson with first overall pick. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, getting another offensive lineman would be big for Lawrence, but I've been seeing the same thing that you you have, that Hutchinson looks like he's going to be the number one. What do you think of the Lions at number two? The Lions are the Lions are interesting because they're Detroit, man, and, and you, never, you never know exactly what they're going to do. I think ultimately at the second pick, they're going to go with Kayvon Thibodeau, edge rusher out of Oregon. This is a guy who, for months and months, was kind of viewed as a Jadavion Clowney-esque assumption to go first overall, right? And we've had kind of this pre-draft narrative with him that's a little bizarre. And this is one of these things that happens as you have months to kind of dissect these dudes. But there's all this, quote, off-the-field stuff on Kayvon Thibodeau now. Like, I don't think he's the only athlete in 2022 that's worried about his brand. Look at LeBron in the NBA, okay? He's not the only one. He's not any different. His talent, though, is absolutely worthy of this pick. I think it's worthy of the first overall pick, as a matter of fact. But Thibodeau here falls number two of the Lions, and I think he's got the most potential of this group of edge rushers. He's so athletic. He's so talented. He's damn near unstoppable when he's locked in. And he's a guy that, because of the quote-unquote character concerns of the -the off-the-field narratives, He's a guy that I can see somebody like Stone Cold Dan Campbell like pounding the table for, like a guy with Thibodeau's talent, just knowing that 
believing in himself to be able to maximize Thibodeau's talent. He's got the highest ceiling of this entire crop of edge rushers, Thibodeau to Detroit at number two overall. Yeah, you know, I'm hoping that with the off-the-field stuff, there's not a lot of attitude that comes with it, and he's not used to losing, so I'm hoping that that doesn't work adversely for the Lions. But, you know, I, I do hear a lot about his, his talent, so, you know, that pick definitely makes sense. What do you think about number three for the Texans? Houston's weird, man, because they're one of these teams that, uh, it, like, there's so many different, like, their roster is cheeks. It's so bad. So when you're sitting at this spot, now they've got two firsts. They've got 13th overall as well after the Deshaun Watson trade. I think they start off the first round, though, with Evan Neal, offensive tackle out of Alabama. Uh, for my money, he's the best offensive tackle in the draft. He's 6'7", 335. This dude's still growing. And while a hockey assist on defense would be nice for Lovey Smith, new head coach, you've got Titus Howard, who was a first-rounder a couple years ago uh, for Houston. He hasn't been super awesome, and he's played some at guard as well. So you can you can keep him at guard. You can keep Howard at guard. And you've got a long-term bookend and a replacement potentially for Laramie Tunsil as he ages with Evan Neal. And you give Davis Mills a manageable pocket to better evaluate him. The other thing here with Houston is you've got the obvious Nick Casario, who's the Texans GM, has that Bill Belichick connection. We all know Belichick loves dudes from Alabama. So I think Houston starts their uh, one-two punch off Thursday night with uh, Evan Neal out of Alabama. That would be a great pick for them. I agree. And then you're right. They almost have too many tackles now with Tunsil and then Evan Neal. So that's th- those are good problems to have in the NFL. Uh, what do you think about the New York Jets at pick number four? Trayvon Walker, edge rusher out of Georgia. And I, I think this is this is kind of the perfect spot for a dude with his potential. He's the fastest riser in this year's draft. I A couple weeks ago when I did the big board, my big board episode, I had him at six on my big board. There's no way in hell this dude's falling us at 15, but he's the quintessential Mel Kuyper tremendous upside pick, right? He can line up anywhere from a three to a four to even a five technique. His performance at the combine was incredible. And, you know, he's from that Georgia defense, man, that's going to have so many dudes. It's like the Miami Hurricanes back in, I think it was 03. This Bulldogs defense is going to have dudes flying off the board on Thursday night. And, you know, it's easy to kind of forget about Trayvon Walker a couple months ago, but his combine performance made him stand out. And the Jets are another team that has to get after opposing quarterbacks, much like the Lions. And here... Uh, Joe Douglas grabs a tag team partner for Carl Lawson, who obviously you're familiar with and Bengals fans are familiar with as well. If you're the Jets, you've got to, I mean, you're in a division with Buffalo, Josh Allen, you know, to and on wherever you're at with him. Um, Mac Jones had a solid rookie year. You've got to be able to get after You have the fourth worst quarterback in that division right now, so you have to be able to get after the other three. Trayvon Walker at least gives, you know, he's he can be the animal to Carl Lawson's hawk in this defense for Robert Sala. Wow, and, and that's pretty rare that you see... Th- I mean, I know edge rusher is always a prime position, but to see three of them go in the top four and, and three guys at one position going very high in this draft, and they're not quarterbacks, so that's that's pretty, pretty rare. Absolutely, and I think that's kind of one of the appeals of this draft, Frank, because it's not like we were saying there's no Burrow, there's no Lawrence, there's not this huge crop of quarterbacks. If you look at and we compare to the 83 draft, which is what that's what everybody salivates over is the quarterbacks and you understand why because they give you hope but because without a quarterback you're nothing but it 
it's kind of it, it's going to be fun to see the way this first round shakes out with very few quarterbacks that are genuinely worth the first round pick and a lot of dudes at other positions that are like the edge rushing class is just egregiously gross they're up and down this board so it's going to be fun to watch there's going to be teams jockeying up and down this board to try to get whoever they want there's going to be a ton of edge rushers in this draft absolutely and you know Corey, i think that maybe this this is this happens like the root of it is people are seeing that edge rushers are in such demand and they get paid so well so you almost wonder like that high school athlete that could play a couple different positions might start wanting to play a position like edge because it's it's such a, a rare skill and it it pays so well. I'm, I'm almost seeing like we're seeing like a ripple effect on that, just like the wide receiver position. How you're you're getting all these guys in college that are pretty much NFL ready. I don't know. It just it just seems like a, a product of the system, and that's why we're seeing so much talent at these positions because it pays well. I guess basically. Absolutely. Well, it, it's funny because every year now it seems like there's these wide receiver crops. And with the way offenses are now, as we've talked before, Frank, you, when you when you have when everybody's basically running, nobody's running out of the eye formation anymore. You know, like when you've got these spread offenses and the goal is to maximize every square inch of the field and you're spreading these defenses out the way that offenses are by just you're playing the odds you're going to have more receivers on each team in college football therefore there's going to be more guys that are game changers coming out every year and every cycle now is you know a handful of dudes where you can pick at wide receiver and you can look at and go well christ this is almost as good as last year's class i mean there's not and this isn't me trying to make up for the ravens thing there's not a jamar chase in every class there's not and there's not in this class but there's a handful of guys now every year receivers are coming out and you can get guys late too because just surely the amount that are coming out now and i think like you're saying it's the same with edge rusher just because the position itself has become so damn valuable it's way more valuable than it was even 10 years ago it's the most important position on defense now it's right up there with quarterback and you know offensive tackle i in a lot of ways it's as important as quarterback in its own way because you have to be able to put the other guy on his ass. Very well put. And yeah, if you look at the top, you know, the top prospects, it's guys in the trenches. Guys in, in the trenches that are on the outside, edge rushers and tackles, as you, as you just yes. mentioned. All right, so Absolutely. let's let's move on to pick number five with the New York Giants. What do you think they're going to do there? I think the Giants, and this is a very heavy, heavy jersey top ten. Um, yeah, the Giants uh, five. I've got them going. Iki Aquanu, offensive tackle out of NC State, and the Giants are interesting. Man, you've got you've got a new head coach there in Brian Dable, new GM and Joe Shine. So it, they're both going to want to see Brian Dable obviously maximize Josh Allen in Buffalo. But I think Daniel Jones, from a talent standpoint, is nowhere near what Josh Allen is. So I wouldn't expect if you're a Giants fan, all of a sudden Danny Dimes is out here killing it. You know what I mean? But to give him the best chance, you've got Andrew Thomas, who you took in the first round, I believe, two years ago. He's been solid, and obviously, Dable and Shine are going to want to see what Daniel Jones has. And it's, look, it's no secret he's had turnover issues, right? So this is going to give him a cleaner pocket to work with from an evaluation standpoint. And Aguanu also excels as a run blocker, which obviously benefits Saquon Barkley, who, as a Penn State fan in college, A, kills me to see that dude in the division. B, kills me to see him constantly banged up every year. Like, 
Iquanu would be able to help this dude stay healthy because he excels as run blocker. So I think the Giants start their uh, start their duo picks along the offensive line to bookend Andrew Thomas. I love that analysis, and you're right. It's almost like if if they give Daniel Jones all the protection that he needs, it's really kind of a prove-it year, and there's no more excuses. So, yeah, that, that totally makes sense, Corey. Here's a big one, which is kind of a, a pivotal point, point in the draft, I believe. What do you think Carolina is going to do at number six? Ah, oh, Jesus. Whoever, whoever gets drafted here, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, they're such a disaster, man. And it's – I've got them taking Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty. And it, 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 it's a shame because this team's such a disaster. They reek of desperation. I'll admit that personally, I'm not uh, purely from a talent standpoint. Seems like a great dude, Malik Willis does. Um, but purely from a talent standpoint, his body of work, I think he's pretty boomer bust. You know, you look at him at the Senior Bowl; he had a nice week. His arm was on display at the Combine. He was out there chucking it around. He impressed everybody. Interviewed well at the Combine, also. But his body of work coming out of Liberty, it, to me, he's definitely. Not, I don't think any of these quarterbacks are worth the sixth pick. Um, Willis is still incredibly raw. Um, but again, while neither of these quarterbacks, Willis and Pickett, that you hear is kind of the one-two, are worthy of a top-ten pick from a talent perspective, teams reach for quarterbacks, Frank. We all know this. And Carolina is so desperate that I think the potential for a Malik Willis is too hard for a desperate Panthers team to pass up. Yeah, and that's crazy. Like we were talking about before the show, if they waited another year, there's a couple good quarterbacks coming out next year. And if Willis isn't the guy or there's no quarterback in this draft that is the guy, that's a big reach at number six to, you know, to reach for one. Whereas maybe you just show a little patience. I'm not saying tank, but, you know, maybe put yourself in a position next year to get one of the other guys. But I know it's a win-now league, so I guess that blows that theory out of the water. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it's like, hey, ask Jacksonville how well it worked out with Blake Bortles. You know, like that's your Carolina. You're not, you're probably going to be picking in the top five again next year. Like relax. It's okay. But they missed out on, on Deshaun Watson. I don't know who would want him anyway with the off the field stuff, but that's conversation for another day. All right. Let's move on to pick number seven with your divisional rivals. Again, the giants. This for me, I think is a layup. Soft Gardner, cornerback out of Cincinnati. You've got a new D.C. there if you're the Giants as well, in addition to Brian Dable and the new GM, Joe Shine. Former Ravens defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale. He loves the blitz. He likes to send guys. And you have James Bradbury, who they just signed to a large contract a couple years ago in free agency, who hasn't shown up to voluntary workouts. He's eventually going to be traded for cap purposes. So if you're the Giants and you've got a new D.C., you're not exactly fired up to roll out of Dory Jackson as your best corner. Right. And here, if you're the Giants, you have the ability to grab the the best corner in the draft and Sauce Gardner. His numbers at this point are legendary. Everybody knows about him. And he's the first DB to hear his name called in the draft. I think this picks a home run for the Giants at seven. You know, if if they were smart and they held on to Bradbury and they paired up the two of these guys, then they could really do what you're talking about and and just blitz and, and go crazy without worries on the back end. But right. You know, we know a disgruntled player is a disgruntled player, and you, you can't keep them around if, if they feel that way. Exactly. Exactly, man. And then, Corey, a side note, it would just be such poetic justice to see Gardner end up with the Bengals, but at 31, they have no shot unless they want to, like, mortgage next year's draft to, to go up and get him. But 
it would have been a nice story to see this amazing homegrown Cincinnati player go to the Bengals. Oh, it would have been great, man. It would have been great. And it, it, it would have, you know, kind of like we were saying before, before we came on, man, with the, the attention that you guys gave the secondary last year, you know, a handful of solid players, Sauce Gardner would be somebody that would put that group over the top and kind of inject some youth in there as well. And that would have been awesome. You know, if he came out last year, you know, we would have had the Sewell, Chase, or Sauce Gardner debate. You know what I mean? Because you guys were picking high enough last year. But as you say, man, it's champagne problems, man. You know, unless, like you said, unless you guys are willing to give up a Ricky Williams deal. You know what I mean? To go up and get him, which, you know, hey, man, you guys, as we were saying, don't have a boatload of glaring needs. So if Duke Tobin's trying to be uber aggressive and he wants to channel his inner Howie Roseman, there's worse move to make, my friend. Oh, that would be great. All right, let's go on to another team that seems like they're spinning their wheels a little bit, too. What do you think about the Falcons at number eight? I've got them going with tiny hands, Kenny Pickett, quarterback out of Pitt. And I just don't see in 2022, man, a team rolling out Marcus Mariota and being serious about itself. You know, like, I just, I I can't. I, I thank God that Chip Kelly trade didn't go through, by the way, because I'd be locked up right now if it did. But I think... <laughs> If you're Atlanta, you've got an older owner in Arthur Blank, um, and it's it's one of those things you get rid of. You know, Matt Ryan's no longer there, your former MVP, best quarterback in franchise history. Look, Marcus Mariota's a nice backup, right? We saw that in Oakland. But you can't be serious rolling this dude out there for 17 games, man. And I think Kenny Pickett, from a purely from a personality and maturity standpoint, makes perfect sense here for Atlanta. People that knock his hands, Atlanta plays indoors, right? So weather's not a factor. You don't have to worry about that. But even if you want to go with that, he played in Pitt. So, but you can take that element out of there. They play in the dome. He's the most pro-ready passer in this class. He's the most accurate. He's an incredibly mature dude that would be coming into an obvious rebuild situation. So he would be a guy that would be able to kind of galvanize the locker room, somebody that the guys in the locker room wouldn't lose faith in. You're going to need somebody when Calvin Ridley gets back, if he does after this coming year with the suspension. You've still got a young Kyle Pitts there. You're going to be able to get receivers, as we've said. They constantly crank them out in college. You're going to have pieces there again in Atlanta at some point. You have to have somebody other than Marcus Mariota back there. You just have to. You know what? Good point there. And one of the knocks on Burrow when he came out was that he didn't have really big hands either. I mean, not as small as Pickett. All right, let's move on to pick number nine, and it's rare to see these guys picking this high in the draft. What do you think of the Seahawks at number nine? I hate the Seahawks drafts every year, man. They're so wonky. They're so wonky. I don't know how the hell John Schneider, the GM, still has a job. So I've got him going completely off the reservation here because that's what he does. Trevor Penning, offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. Um, This, to me, is a typical John Schneider pick. Um, it's, it's, It's a bit of a reach at nine. But he's a mauler, he's a run blocker, and, you know, Seattle likes to run the ball historically, right, except for on the one-yard line in the Super Bowl. But, you know, it, the, the rumor is, which you can never go by because it is smoke screen season, but they supposedly like Drew Locke a lot. Denver also liked him enough to take him in the second round high a couple of years ago. I was a Drew Locke guy when he came out. Sometimes you just get these things wrong. Allegedly, that's the word, but again, we are in smoke screen season. So Seattle, to me... Whether it's Drew Locke or whoever's taking snaps back there, that aligns a disaster. That's part of the reason why Russell Wilson wanted to get the hell out of there. Penning feels right here to me just because, A, he fits a need. B, 
be. It's such a wonky spot and a weird pick. But to me, it just has John Schneider written all over it. Wow. And yeah, that is high for him based on what I've seen in other mocks. So, all right. So to round out the top 10, what about the Jets picking again at number 10? We're going to close out the top 10 with our uh, first receiver off the board. Uh, Jamison Williams, wide receiver out of Alabama. You know, look, yes, he tore his ACL in the national championship game against Georgia, but that's not the death sentence it used to be this side of Adrian Peterson. And we're only getting shorter and shorter windows with these ACLs. So that's not the, you know, you're not going to be out for a year like this, like it used to be back in the day. The Jets know that Zach Wilson is a work in progress. They're aware of that. And if you're the Jets and Joe Douglas, you're not in on Tyreek Hill sweepstakes, only to not take a wide receiver with one of these two picks. So, especially for the Jets, like, your receivers are cheats. You've got to get – you just took Wilson second overall last year. You have to get him some help. You have to get him somebody to throw to. It's not, you know, Jamison Crowder. Whoever the top receiver is on Joe Douglas's board is who na- whose name is called here – you see Garrett Wilson linked a lot here all the time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Whoever it is, it, it's receiver here, I think, is a lock. I think Joe Douglas, though, is a guy, is a Howie Roseman protege, that won't be afraid to roll the dice on a guy like Williams as the first receiver off the board due to his explosiveness. He's very similar to Tyreek in terms of style of play, and the reports are now that he's healing quickly and may only miss a couple weeks of the season. So you're still going to get – that evaluation with Zach Wilson potentially and you get arguably the most explosive weapon on the perimeter in this draft. Sounds solid to me and yeah you have to arm Zach Wilson with as many weapons as you can at this point because they were pretty weak last year in in a lot of aspects. Let's move on to the fun picks so the Eagles have two picks in the first round I believe you guys had three and you traded one do you want to give a little wisdom behind that trade and, and your thoughts on it? And then if you can lay out the two picks that you think the Eagles are going to make. Yeah, man. So it, it, for me, when I first got the alert, I was like, all right, here we go. Howie again, you know, because it was same thing last year. You move back and it's your first initial reaction as an Eagles fan is not it's immediate PTSD because there is zero trust in Howie Roseman, Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, JJR Sega Whiteside over DK Metcalf. Like hindsight's always 2020, 20, sure, but sometimes things are just kind of obvious. Howie Roseman constantly likes to maneuver. And even when it's a deal like this one with New Orleans, that when you take a, a step back and you look at it and you go, man, we kind of fleeced them. It, it, your first initial reaction is, Jesus Christ, what happened now? So to me, we go from having three ones this year to having two this year and two next year. It's a win. I think that we also had a second rounder in 2024 and an additional third rounder this year. And we keep our soonest pick in this year's draft. We kept 15. You know, New Orleans did all this to move up like a spot. So, you know, for me, man, it makes sense. And I think the reason why you do this is because this is it for Jalen Hurts. You know, this is we're the quarterback factory per Howie Roseman, right? But, uh, I think the two first-rounders next year ultimately will probably be used as ammo to move up and get a Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud if Jalen Hurts doesn't. Anything short of getting his team on the doorstep of the NFC title game, I think, and and it's you're going to see a new guy uh, under center for the Birds in 2023. That's just my opinion, and I don't think it's any of the groundbreaking. I think there's a reason why you want those picks in next year's draft when the quarterback class is perceived as better. All right. Well, with that said, what do you think they're going to do with the two first-round picks that they have this year? 
So I think just to kind of quickly, I'll lay out uh, 11 Washington. I've got Garrett Wilson, receiver, to Ohio, uh, receiver out of Ohio State. 12 Minnesota, Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. Uh, Houston at 13, Derek Stingley Jr., corner out of LSU. 14, my second team, Baltimore, uh, Jermaine Johnson, edge rusher out of Florida State. Just to set the table for 15, first of Howie Roseman's picks, let's go receiver third year in a row because why not? Jalen Rager worked out so well, so we have to do this again. I'm going Chris Olave, wide receiver out of Ohio State. As a Penn State fan, it kills me to have a Buckeyes name called on the first night, but here we are. Sometimes you just have to do these things. Jamison Williams is uh, off the board, obviously. Garrett Wilson, which that's fine, because you need to see what Jalen Hurts can do this year. You don't have time to sit around and wait for Jamison Williams to get to get right. You have that time if you're the Jets. You don't if you're trying to evaluate 17 games of Jalen Hurts. Olave is the best route runner in this class. He's a versatile playmaker at all three levels. You pair him with a Devontae Smith, I think big things can happen. I also like Drake London a lot here. I think his go up and get it, high point the ball, uh, Alshon Jeffrey-esque ability very much complements Devontae Smith perfectly. I just think Olave's style and his versatility is more of what Howie Roseman's going to go after, which is the reason why he took Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson to begin with. And we see how that worked out. So hopefully a couple of years later, if the option of versatility in Olave, this time it works out a little different. Yeah, that would be a great compliment to that receiving room, which you you guys have been trying to get right for a few years. But, you know, with yes. the guy you drafted last year and now potentially this guy, that's, that's, a, that's a very good start. And it will allow Hertz to, you know, hopefully reach his potential or at least see what you have there. Almost like Daniel Jones with, you know, giving him an offensive line and saying, prove it. Well, now, you know, you're giving this guy two blue chip receivers. And last point on him is he's another one. He's another Ohio guy that you would want to see go to the Bengals, but no prayer that he's going to last that long either. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he will, man. I mean, but then again, I mean, it's it's crazy, man, because there's so many teams now are trying to trade, especially when you have these back end of the first round quarterbacks. Like, say Kenny Pickett falls, he could very easily – Atlanta could not take him and Kenny Pickett could slide or maybe Malik Willis. And now suddenly you have these teams trying to leapfrog back into the first round, just like Baltimore did with us the year we won the Super Bowl 2018 with Lamar Jackson. You move back into the first round, now you get that fifth-year option on a guy, which is crucial, especially for the quarterback position. So if Desmond Ritter and Sam Corral or a team like Sam Howell enough, these quarterback leading teams could move up and you could start seeing guys shuffle down the board for you guys to bit at 31. Yeah, that would be the best case scenario for the Bengals is is three or four quarterbacks going in the first round, which is highly doubtful. But, you know, the more quarterbacks that go, the more positions of need that'll be available for us. What about with the Eagles' second pick in the first round? What are you thinking? Uh, 18th overall, I think, it, to me all along, this has come down to uh, just, just going off Howie's track record. This isn't necessarily what I would do. This is what I think will happen. We haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since 1979. Jerry Robinson, who was a nice player. I, Devin Lloyd, I would love. Even even a corner. Secondary's been, Jesus, secondary's been a need for us since the Jim Johnson days. I Just looking at Howie's track record, trenches i'm going with the 18th pick george Karloftis, edge rusher out of uh, purdue and it's funny because a couple years ago we talked before we came on about you know 2017 our super bowl year the trenches are what won that super bowl for us not in that game necessarily on defense because the defense didn't show up at all against brady brandon graham showed up for one play but the defensive line did not for the entire game brady was tossing all over minnesota on us 
point being that defensive line was once a strength and now it's kind of a need because you have Brandon Graham who's coming off torn ACL turns 34 this year. You bring back Derek Barnett on kind of like a sympathy deal, right? We just need you for depth, even though you were a first round pick, but we had high expectations for you. And now all you do is get laundry thrown on the field. Josh Sweat, who I love, He's a pro bowler, but at the same time, the pro bowl doesn't mean what it meant 20, 30 years ago. He was like a ninth alternate. So, like, that's what we've got now on the defensive line on the edge. So that's now a need. And Karloftis is a dude that was once viewed as a top five pick in this draft, but he also got doubled a lot at Purdue in 2021. So that production dipped a little bit. Um, But if you watch his tape, he shows flashes of excellence. You know, he's got the fundamentals. He's constantly knocking on the door in the pocket. His sack numbers, I expect to improve at the NFL level. And this could be very well. uh, I almost put Boye Mafe here, the edge rusher out of Minnesota, because his tape, he just jumps out at you at times. I'm going with the consistency of Carl Loftus here, though, over Mafe. But I think it's going to be an edge rusher just based off the track record of how he rose. Makes sense. And if you improve that defensive line, you know, good things will happen. Okay, let's get to the moment that I'm not going to say we've all been waiting for, but I've definitely been waiting for. I really want to hear your take on who you think the Bengals are going to take at number 31. Cincinnati Bengals, pick 31, on the clock. Corey, what are we doing? I would love to say that 31st overall will be Tyler Linderbaum, center out of Iowa. He's my favorite player in this draft. Look, I'm sentimental. I played center. I love his game. If he makes it to 31 and you guys don't pick him, I will riot on behalf of Bengals fans. Because as we were saying before we came on, and we were talking during you guys' playoff run, Frank, this team that you guys have now this past year reminded me a lot of our Super Bowl year. And kind of where you guys are picking at now, there's really not any glaring needs that jump out at you on the roster, save for center, to me. And that's where if you enter Linderbaum, it, it could not work out any better. Only problem is, I don't know that he makes it out of the 20s. I don't. But if he does, he's got to be the pick. I just personally don't think he makes it to 31. I've got you guys taking Kyir Elam, cornerback out of Florida. You basically have the luxury, as we were saying here, of with Linderbaum off the board, you can kind of go best player available on your board if you're Duke Tobin. I do think that of those second-tier corners, Elam's one of the better ones, and he's been kind of forgotten about. Um, I think Trent McDuffie out of Washington's probably gone by this point, as will Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. They will probably be gone by 31, but as we were saying, you guys did such a nice job of addressing that secondary free agency last year leading up to your Super Bowl run, and then you invest heavily in the offensive line this year, creating that best best available scenario Elam's a fast and physical corner. You know, if you watch his tape, yeah, you'll see a play here and there where he gets burnt. But, you know, it, it, look, man, you watch enough plays and dudes. I'm, I'm talking tape, not YouTube highlights. Everybody gets burned at some point. Everybody can't be Pat Chetan and Sam Madison for the Dolphins back in the day. Everybody's got a bad play on tape. It's just the way it is, especially for a guy like Elam that's got a lot of experience. I think he makes your secondary that's already solid and he throws some youth into there and immediately upgrades it for you guys. I like Elam to you guys a lot at the 31st pick. You know what? I would take either one of those players. They can both upgrade the position groups. Who do you think is going to grab Linderbaum? I hate to say it, but uh, I think Arizona, and I believe 23, 
is is a spot to keep an eye on. I also think Baltimore right ahead of us at 15, or 14, possibly. The the cynic in me says Dallas at 24 because they constantly seem to either take my favorite player in the draft at some point, somebody I really, really like that, or they take Penn State dudes. So I'm convinced that he doesn't make it past Dallas. I certainly hope I'm wrong. I would love to see him with you guys. Um, but there's there's a handful. To me, I think he makes sense for us at 15. I was telling you, if we still had three ones, it, it, when we did my, the big board episode, Tyler Lindebaum was number one on my big board. He's not going to be number one on Howie's, though. That's the disparity. I don't think he makes it past Dallas at 24. But, God, I hope I'm wrong. Corey, this has been a pleasure, as always. I, I learn something every time I talk football with you. How do people find the Grease Pole podcast on social media? Where can people download and check out this great show that you do? I appreciate the kind words, friend. We're on um, we're on Instagram at Grease Pole Podcast. You can find every episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We also live stream on Twitch um, each and every Monday and YouTube as well, where if you look up, you go to either one and you look up Grease Pole Podcast, you can find it. And, uh, you know, yes, you know, subscribe and all that stuff and review would be great. But, you know, give it a shot. And if you enjoy it, just tell a friend is all I ask. Hobson's Choice Questions. All right. This is always one of my favorite segments. And this is where I answer the Hobson's Choice Questions from the Bengals.com website. And the rules of this segment are, I have not seen the questions ahead of time. I'm going to be reading them for the first time because I want the answers to be organic and off the top of my head. So here we go. Hobson's Choice Questions. Question number one. What's the highest priority hole to fill in the draft to elevate this exciting D? Corner, defensive three technique, or edge rusher? All right, my answer to that is, I would say a corner. Let's get another starting quality corner in the rotation there. And then we can see who's going to win out, Eli Apple or the new guy. Or you have a corner that can learn for a year under a veteran and be ready to assume the starting position in 2023. Next question. I'm likely to have several beers in me by the time the Bengals are finally on the clock. So spin me a drunken fan's fantasy. Give me three players who could take an Aaron Rodgers-like tumble and miraculously end up in stripes. All right, I would say three players that would be magical if they fell to us at the 31 pick. Even though we're saying it all along, Tyler Linderbaum would be great if he did slip that far because he's a highly rated offensive lineman. I've been seeing George Karoloftis as well, the pass rusher, so that could be a big slip there. And someone even went went as far to say Stingley, and I I know he's not going to be there, but if we're going to play the fantasy game, that would be amazing if one of those top corners actually fell that late, but that's, that's highly doubtful. All right, next question. I know people will ask, who are the Bengals going to draft? So instead, I'll ask what positions and athletic profiles they might target in round one. So I was going to say that that's where it's going to be an offensive lineman or a corner for the most part, unless one of the marquee positions, like like a pass rusher, falls to you there. So I would say those are the main positions. And as far as the type of athlete, they like guys that are versatile, and they like guys that are leaders and captains and have a big-time football pedigree. So that would be the the profile of the players that I would want there, and I think the positions that are most likely to be drafted in the first round by us. Next question. Bengal greats like Ken Anderson and Ken Riley have been snubbed for the NFL Hall of Fame induction due to the overall lack of sustained organizational success. Will such future success with Burrow help these two deserving greats get in the NFL Hall of Fame? 
That's a very good question, and I think that is true. You know, if Burrow can take us to a nice run where we make a couple Super Bowls, win a couple Super Bowls, now you're going to see some of those old-time Bengals get a little more of a look because we're now more in the national spotlight. And someone like Joe Burrow has the ability, almost like a Tom Brady, as I keep saying, to draw fans in and younger fans. And, you know, who knows? Maybe in 10 years there's going to be all these new out-of-the-woodwork Bengal fans that were just really young when Joe Burrow started becoming a star. And you can almost see that. And if that happens and our fan base grows and the team's success grows and maybe we get to that, you know, the the big word, that dynasty level. I mean, it takes a while. It takes a lot. But it it can be attainable when you have a big-time leader and a great quarterback like that. So, yes, Burrow's success will pave the way for your Ken Andersons, your Ken Riley's, your Willie Anderson's, you know, maybe even you get down into your Ocho Cinco's, Corey Dillon's. There's a lot that can happen there, but it, it will start with Joe Burrow taking this team and winning a couple Super Bowls, which I feel is, is going to happen, and it's going to happen pretty soon. Next question. Fans since 1968. What's the delay holdup on signing Kevin Huber? Yeah, this is a big one, and we talked about this in the roundtable episode from last week. Kevin Huber is a beloved Cincinnati Bengal. He's played in almost the most games of anybody in the in the Bengals uniform in history. So those are all positive things. He is losing a little bit because he's getting older and he's having a hip issue. So he's not as strong-legged as he used to be. And I think the Bengals are just kind of waiting to see what happens. Maybe something happens in the draft. Maybe what something happens after the draft. But if they don't really pick up anyone significant, they're going to re-sign him and have him compete with Drew Chrisman. And I'd like to think that Kevin Huber will be the starting punter next year. And as I did say in the roundtable last episode, I don't want to break up that Harris-Huber-McPherson chemistry that we had that led to so many game-winning kicks and successful kicks this year. So it would be nice to keep that team together for at least one more year while we groom Kevin Huber's replacement because he knows the ending is is near. You know, your body knows it, but I, I believe that he does have another good year left in him. Next question. Going into the draft, I still think that we need to address the offensive line, but if a high-rated corner is on the board, I think we need to address the secondary because I feel we have no depth. What do you think? That's exactly what I think. I still say get an offensive lineman, hopefully in the first round. If not, you get a guard in the second round. And then as far as corner, you need to get him in the first or the second or else the chances of them starting goes way down. And then a safety, you're still looking to get in the top half of the draft, not the bottom half of the draft, if you want to think about the secondary as a whole. Next question. My question to you is as crazy as this sounds. Could you see the Bengals taking a wide receiver as early as round two? My answer to that is yes, I could see it. If, if, if it's the best player available, if someone slipped, you add another weapon for Joe Burrow. And after the top three wide receivers, there's a little bit of a drop-off. You have guys like Trent Irwin and Mike Thomas, you know, guys that could possibly fill that role. But if you have a chance at a rookie that comes in at a low salary, that has high, high ability and another target for Burrow, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, I necessarily wouldn't want to take one in the first round unless somebody really significant fell. But second round, third round, if it's going to make your team better and that's the best player available, yes, a wide receiver is in play that early in the draft. If you were picking for the Bengals, would you consider a trade back if the top five guys you wanted weren't there? If so, how far back would you be comfortable with? Okay, this goes with my philosophy of top 50 players. 
You want top 50s, and you want them as high in the draft as you can. So I would not want to trade back and what you know, trade back a couple picks and get another fourth rounder, fifth rounder. No, that's that's not worth it. You know, the only way I would trade back is if there were two top 50 picks coming, and we weren't going back more than say five picks or so. And I think those numbers are mutually exclusive, so I don't think that a team is going to give you that much to hop up five spaces. So no, stand your ground at 31 and grab the 31st best player in the nation. And hopefully a bunch of quarterbacks go before that. Hopefully a bunch of quarterbacks and a bunch of wide receivers and maybe even a running back go because you're getting the choice of of the other positions if some of those guys go early. So you're picking 31st and say four wide receivers and three quarterbacks go. Well, now you're getting a top 24 player at the positions that you're targeting. You know, like the more players at positions that you don't need go, the better and more valuable your first pick is. So no, do not trade back. Don't get out of the top 50 for any reason at all. If anything, trade up. You know, I would even give up a third and a fourth to get back into the second round or, you know, whatever it's going to take. All right, next question. Ted Karras is signed to play center. However, if he were to get injured, Trey Hill is the backup and he was not ready last year. My question, do the Bengals feel that comfortable with Hill? Or is that another reason to pick Linderbaum? Yeah, I think it is. There's not a lot of depth there. And if something were to happen to your starting center at this point, it would be Trey Hill or you'd be moving a guy from another position to take over as center. So there's a lot of mystery there. And that could all be solved if we take that highly rated center with the first pick. Last question. Do you expect Joe Burrow to want a similar contract structure that the Browns recently gave to Deshaun Watson? 100%, and he's 100% deserving of it. Yeah, Joe Burrow's going to want most of his contract guaranteed because of the blueprint that was laid by Watson. Joe Burrow is going to want between $40 and $50 million a year because that's the the rate for top-notch quarterbacks, and that's already been paid out there. So expect Burrow to be signed for a long time, for a big price, and I'm totally fine with that. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Bengals Storm. All right, I'd like to welcome a special guest who knows a lot about the NFL draft. He's a Bengals fan living in Wisconsin, and he's got a great Instagram page. I'd like to welcome Bengals Storm. Storm, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? All right, man. Good to talk to you finally. I know it's been a while that we've been DMing. You know, let's get right down to business. What do you think the Bengals are going to do in the 2022 draft? I think a main idea for them is defense. As you can see in free agency, all offense, Hayden Hurst, Lyle Collins, Alex Kappa, really want to go defense in this draft, get best player available. So I think first round, if he's available, Andrew Booth, Devontae Wyatt, maybe even K.O. Elam if they feel like it. You're thinking corner or possibly a defensive lineman? Yeah, there's a lot of good edge rushers and interior linemen that if you don't have Tyler Linderbaum there, you don't have Andrew Booth there, just get the best edge rusher you can because that'll probably be the best player available for them. And you don't think that Linderbaum's going to be there at 31? And if he is, do they take him over anybody? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on him? Because I know he's a popular choice. It just depends on what some teams think. Like, will Buffalo get a running back or get Linderbaum or Dallas? go wide receiver to replace Cooper or get Tyler Linderbaum. And the Bengals, it's like Andrew Booth and Tyler. It's uh, 1A, 1B. Like, you can't go wrong 
from the way things look, they want to go Andrew Booth more than anything because they really love Jackson Carmen. They love Ted Karras at center, and with those two factors, you just don't know what to do if you get a great center that would be a day-one starter. Yeah, you know, I was a little surprised they didn't go after Treader in free agency, you know, thinking the success he had with the Browns, and, you know, they decided to go with Karras and then have left guard play out. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, funny enough, actually, I talked to a family member of Treader. He told me, like, oh, yeah, we'd definitely come to Cincinnati if they were given the money, but they told me that they'd even, like, talk to Treader at all. So I think that says a lot on how much they trust Jackson Carmen, maybe even Deontay Smith, and how much they trust Ted Karras at center. Interesting. What do you think they're going to do in round two? There's a lot of options. This is when things really split. You could go tight end, Trey McBride, Greg Dulich, or go D-tackle here with uh, Travis Jones, or maybe if Logan Hall falls down, maybe you go all-line now with like a Dylan Farham. There's a lot of options at a lot of positions. Yeah, I know there's going to be a lot of teams going after tight ends in the second round, so that's probably going to limit our possibilities you know, hopefully we can get one of the top three that are coming out this year. What do you think about the third round? Third round, it's this is it splits even more here because I even here see like a few mock drafts of us going wide receiver. We've lost Auden Tate. We don't know how much longer we're gonna have Tyler Boyd. Why not go wide receiver with like a Calvin Austin or Wendell Robinson, who's like a Debo Samuel type player, can play running back, wide receiver. Do he's a do it all player. But overall, I think. I mean, yeah, you could go tight end here with record. You could go wide receiver, as I just said. O-line, there's one prospect, Jareem Sayor or Sailor. And then what happens when we get to rounds four through seven? You know, I, I guess it's harder to name guys that are going to be available there. But as far as, you know, philosophy, what do you think they're going to be doing there? Day three, I fully expect us to get a wide receiver, replace Auden Tate and all that. I fully expect us to get a safety because Ricardo Allen's gone and Jesse Bates and Von Bell on contract here. Maybe they get some late-round guys, see what he can do. If he can't do anything, go early next year, get a great safety. If he does do good, that's great. Don't even may not even have to pay one of the two big safeties. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. Safety is one, one of those positions that you can get a little bit later in the draft and still have a guy that's productive. Whereas, you know, when you get to those, those top-flight corners – it's usually hard to get a starter after the second round for that position. On top of that, what do you think they're going to do in, you know, undrafted free agency? Like, what, what's the overall philosophy there? I'm expecting a one thing. I'm fully expecting is a punter compete with Drew Chrisman after Kevin Huber's gone. Have a battle with him at least. I think Drew is the answer at punter, but at least bring competition, see what's there. Get a QB, see because after Brandon Allen had that bad. Really bad week 18 game. Why not just bring another QB, see what he can do? I've been saying the same thing about a backup quarterback. You know, I was I was a little upset with Brandon Allen for being that bad against the Browns. I know I know it was, you know, a lot of backups were in there and whatnot. But it just felt like, man, he didn't look ready to play at all. So, you know, I, I would be down with getting a late round quarterback or an undrafted and, and seeing what you got there. When you mention the puncher competition, you don't mention Kevin Huber. You don't think they're going to be re-signing him? 
from the way things look, no, if they were going to resign him, it'd be done weeks ago. I mean, we re-signed Clark Harrison, what, day four free agency? A couple other questions in general about the roster. Obviously, we're coming off a Super Bowl run. How much did that take you by surprise last year? I mean, saying we were going to go like 10-7 and seven got me blasted on Twitter and Instagram. So seeing that happen and and followed up by the incredible Super Bowl run, run we had. Yeah, just seeing how, how much they wanted this and they were somehow... It was all paying off finally. It didn't have the ending we all wanted, but it just shows a huge improvement on what was supposed to be another rebuilding, tanking season. Yeah, and it was so close. What are we talking, like a minute and a half away from from winning it all? Yeah, yeah like one third and one, one sack maybe, just one play away from a from that bad offensive line doing something good. And this could be an entirely different story on how we got a Super Bowl and we're going to run it back. I agree. And, you know, if, if you look at that last play where Donald got a hold of Burrow and, you know, he, we didn't have time to throw, and then you see Chase wide open down the sideline. I mean, if they completed that pass, that would have went down in NFL history as one of the, the biggest pass moments in Super Bowl history. Yeah, and I think it also shows, like, how good the young guys are like uh how a rookie smoked one of the best cornerbacks in the nfl and if we just had one more second he would have made one of the greatest plays in nfl history with it but it just shows next year more experience it's going to be interesting to see how they all take that next step into either nfl or pro pro boys or just improving in general yeah, I think they're going to go, obviously, back into the playoffs. And then from there, anything can happen. I think Buffalo is probably the, the biggest obstacle in our way. But, you know, if, if Joe Burrow is well protected, I don't think we're going to have too many problems with, with most of these teams. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's just all depending on the trenches, really. I mean, I remember the last draft of the Super Bowl, we had a, like, no sacks, no pressure, Stafford at all the time to throw on the other end. What was it, seven sacks allowed? Just improve on both, have more time, especially like B.J. Hill having a train camp with us, getting the new guys in free agency on the offensive line, maybe drafting a few, and getting defensive line, obviously, have trenches that can make big plays all the time. And you know what, Storm, going into the season, I wanted to get your thoughts who do you think is going to be a breakout player this year or possibly an underrated player who's going to shine? Like any, any dark horses that, that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, the obvious like dark horse players like Eli Apple because there's nowhere to go but up for him to sell out a really bad play in the Super Bowl. When I think he actually did good, he only allowed three catches for 17 yards, but two of those were in the end zone, obviously, so that's what makes him so hated by the NFL media because he allowed two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. But I think he'll have a breakout season. He's fueling so much of that hate into improving. But a yeah, a player I think will do really good that no one's talking about is Clay Johnson, the linebacker he claimed off of Carolina. 
only played half a season for us, and he was shining on special teams, and he had one of the most impactful plays in the Tennessee playoff game where he tackled Derrick Henry on that two-point conversion. If it wasn't for that, they'd have a bigger lead by four, I believe. I think Clay made a big play, and with that, he's going to bring into next season and just improve off it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, he, he was basically on special teams last year, and then he comes in, in, like you said, one of the biggest moments in the playoffs and makes a, a solo tackle in the backfield of Derrick Henry. Moving on, how, being, being that you live in Wisconsin, how did you become a Bengals fan? It was 2017 week three. The Bengals are playing the Packers. First, The first snap I see is at William Jackson pick six. Instantly fell in love with him. Instantly fell in love with Carl Lawson, Joe Mixon. It's too bad most of those guys are gone now, but watching more and more of it, it made me fall in love with the game, and then I watched the game next week, and yeah, it's just, I slowly became more and more of a fan until this point. Storm, how do people find you on social media? I didn't even really know what to do. I just made a simple Bengals account, pretty bad content at first, and then some page came up to me saying, hey, you want to join this page called Storm Affiliate, and I was like, ah, oh, sure, I don't really know much, and that's when I made the name Bengals Storm, got better logos and templates and stuff like that, and slowly it went from posts that people saw to the players seeing it, and soon I got like Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and that brought a huge new wave of fans and people that wanted to see my content, especially with that deep playoff run, more Bengals fans came along. So I think I think it's just a slow but great process of how I got here today with that account. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Cincinnati Bengals 2022 draft picks, and we're going to welcome in Tom McLevy, Sands, and Justin Lacey with their thoughts on how well the Bengals did in this draft. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.